1: My name is Christy, and I'm one of the spiritual rebels straight from Simran's recent Rebel Road tour. And I'm filling in tonight for Simran, who's taking a little bit of time for some rest. And she's also uh, in the process of writing her third book. And she'll be sharing more about that with all of us very soon. Um, She is in the process, excuse me, If she is just such an exceptional writer and and, and and inspiring as well. If you've not yet had the opportunity to read her books, Conversations with the Universe, and Your Journey to Enlightenment, I highly recommend both of them to you. Conversations with the Universe helps us connect the dots and to be more trusting of life, and Your Journey to Enlightenment is a loving guide, uh, and it takes us to our true nature as divine children. i Find or Sharing to be Real, uh, Heartfelt, and and Connecting. Um, Both books can be purchased by visiting Simran's brand new website, which is www.imsimran.com. That is www.iamsimran.com. Our guest tonight is author and attorney, Philip Camilla. Philip believes that civilization may very well be at the beginning of a new epoch, a time of great spiritual awakening, with humanity transcending to a higher truth, one that unifies the now-colliding cultures of science and religion. Drawing extensively from the findings of science and philosophy, Philip concludes that the materialist's view that man is a machine and that the mind is nothing more than an electrochemical interaction between its neurons is a flawed theory that fails to understand its own discoveries, including the materialist's erroneous interpretation of quantum theory. The real conclusion revealed by quantum mechanics is that matter is not absolute and eternal as materialists claim it to be. Many scientists now believe that it has been shown that matter originates in the mind, and the mind is universal. From this viewpoint, we will come to the ultimate understanding of the interconnection between our minds and the world around us. Welcome, Philip, to 1111 Talk Radio. We're so happy to have you here tonight.
2: Hey, thanks a lot, Christy, for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you.
1: Beautiful. Philip, the title of your book is The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God. Will you share with us what is materialism and why is it collapsing?
2: Okay, materialism is sort of uh, a, a viewpoint that we all sort of fall into without thinking why we're viewing the world that way. Now, materialism has a couple basic principles one of them is that ultimate reality is a thing is mindless matter okay an example of this would be the search for the god particle in large uh, atom smashers such as the large hadron collider so ultimate reality under materialism is a thing and then because the world is ultimately matter it has no purpose there's no directions there's no mind or intelligence guiding the flow of human history. We live in a random creation. Okay? The other, the other uh, component of materialism is that it separates us from the world and from other people. If we're only things, mindless machines, then there really isn't any connection. All this talk about oneness, unity, uh, spirituality, it's all a bunch of happy talk without a foundation in a materialistic worldview. And the funny thing is about it is that it has been guiding science for hundreds of years, yet uh, the findings, as you point out in the introduction, is, of quantum theory, of uh, the fine-tuning of the universe, of, of coincidences, of the, uh, the paranormal, there's so many things that are showing that the materialistic model, this mechanical world model that we got from Newton, has reached the end of its days. It's time to get on a new horse time to change gears and move to a worldview that is more all-encompassing.
1: Yes. In, uh, In your book, or early on in your book, uh, I'm reading, uh, despite mounting evidence that the physical body is not a self-operating machine, material science continues to ignore its own medical findings and design a continuing assortment of medical treatments and drugs treating the body as a machine. But if our beliefs determine who we are, then is our belief that we are machines taking us down a doomed road that we have unwittingly paved for ourselves? We are, in fact, spirits operating under the delusion that we are machines, a misguided belief that we need to overcome. Philip, where do you believe we are in this process of realization?
2: Well, that's really the $1,000, $60,000 question, because I think that what's going on is that there is a spiritual evolution going on simultaneously with what we would call a material evolution or Darwinian evolution. I mean, with Darwin, we're so fixated on the evolution of species, of things, of animals, of humans, that we forget that there's also a spiritual evolution going on. And what I mean is really nothing very fancy. What I mean is that as, as beings, we're coming to a greater understanding of who we are and our true essence. That is why there's shows like this on the air. That's why um, I wrote my book. I have my own show. There's so many people probing, probing the outer limits of spirits and what we can be, our divine nature. We're starting to uh, realize more of our of our inner pot- inner potential. And so, when you so to me, I think there's going to be a quote-unquote tipping point or a or a breakthrough point. Where, where this is going to be uh, sort of uh, known on a dramatic or a larger scale, and we'll see things accelerate. You know, I know that there is a spiritual evolution. I think that there's no doubt that there, there is this growth that we are um, undergoing as, as, uh, as, as human beings across the globe. But I think at some point, Christy, and I'm hoping this is going to occur in, in, in my lifetime and soon, I think we're going to see the the authority figures topple, and I think we're going to have a change of paradigms where the materialistic model gets replaced with this spiritual or mind-based model. And At that point, I think things are going to accelerate. So I'm all about accelerating that movement. That's what I'm about. I'm about speeding things up because some of us don't have the rest of eternity to be <laughs> sitting around waiting for... You know the leading scientists to change their mind. Mm-hmm. So, so I I think that um, optimistically this is going to happen. Uh, I don't well I don't know when I don't know whether to count it in years, decades, or generations. Frankly, but I'm doing what I can do to speed things up.
1: And that is really all of all of our jobs <laughs> uh, is is to uh, to be involved in speeding up that process and and getting us to that tipping point. Right. You touched on the paranormal, and there is a section uh, in your book about the paranormal, and you know, many of us are intrigued with the paranormal. Of course, others deny the existence of the paranormal. What are your beliefs about the paranormal, and what is there to learn from this phenomenon?
2: Well, I think that one of the, the uh, tasks, missions of a new worldview or a new paradigm, is to explain human experience as opposed to ruling out portions of it because it does not fit your model. One of the reasons modern science is so adverse to the paranormal, and specifically things like mind over matter or telepathy, is because they have no theory to account for it. They have no theory to account for how minds could talk to each other or how under certain moments of duress, for example... The mind seems to have an unnatural ability to affect things out in the world, such as the roll of a dice, a mother lifting a car off of her child, um, or 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 the athlete being in a zone, or something like that. And so, so I don't, I did not believe in the paranormal and then figure out a way to explain it. I view the paranormal as part of the world we live in. I think that the the record of paranormal events is too powerful to rule out all of them, okay? So, what this means is that if you look at the world as a united whole, as one dream, for example, of God, of, of spirit, then the paranormal is easily explained as disruptions in the unified spiritual world, see? And so, so, so I think that the paranormal shows uh, a magical part of reality. I mean, 1111, is, as we discussed before the show, is based upon its synchronicity, based upon coincidences. Uh, I'm very much of the mind that we are living out a story, a story written by an author we will never be able to figure out. But this, but this author, this writer, who we could call God, had knows where things are going and things are synchronized as if he or she was writing a novel where things fit together. And so, so to me, it's, it's a much more uplifting way to look at the paranormal and synchronicity and those kinds of things to look, to look at it like evidencing the magical, enchanting aspect of the world we live in. And, and so, so I think it's, I think it's, it's very, it's very important, and I think it helps for to have more of an enriching viewpoint of these things, rather than sit back and say, well, we don't have a particle that goes back and forth between two minds, therefore it must not exist. See? so, so I, I'm, a, I think the paranormal is just one, one sign one sign that we live in a united, holistic worldview view, the world.
1: Belief in the paranormal is, as you've just mentioned, or as you've just discussed, is frowned upon by many in in modern science. It's also frowned upon in various religions, and yet I grew up uh, in a Protestant family, very Bible-based. And... There are numerous accounts of what could be considered paranormal events in both the Old Testaments and the New Testaments. This has always been such a source of confusion for me, specifically when it comes to communication from our loved ones who have already made their transition. They've passed from this life into the next. What does your book say about the afterlife?
2: Well, I don't really talk about the afterlife, but I myself, I'm becoming more interested in it recently. I'm, I'm reading, or should, I should say listening to the book The Proof of Heaven uh, by Eben Alexander, which is obviously a bestseller. And uh, On my own radio show, I recently had Hilary Jamron, who, who died and basically came back to life. And so these things are making me think about it, and to me... Um, The best that I could say about it is that approaching it as a lawyer would, or as I think a true scientist would, which is look at the evidence, look at the evidence, look at the accounts, how many are there, and then record those accounts and try to make sense of it. First of all, I do think many of these experiences are real. I think that the accounts of the white light, the life after death, they seem to be real, I think to call, all these, to call these people all crazy is just not, um, it's, just, it's just the easy way out. In, in my worldview, where I think that we're living in a deep, powerful, hardened dream, it, it can be explained, it's understandable, because we're really spirits. And so there probably are deeper dimensions of the mind that, that can account for that can explain the afterlife okay now this is something that i'm not an expert on and i am not I've, I've not had an afterlife experience or after death experience but i'm about looking at the real world at experience which would include accounts of the of the afterlife would include synchronicity the paranormal, etc., spiritual experiences, and trying to explain them with with a logical approach rather than just say they don't exist. See, and so, so in summary, I think afterlife experiences show the depth of the mind and the different levels of consciousness that the that the that the mind has. And that's the best thing I could say about it right now. And I, I, I'm, um, I'm intrigued by the topic. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> the section um, on religion in this book was, was very interesting, and in, in, in short in compared to some of the others. Why is that? And what are your views on the Bible as a religious text and as a historical document?
2: Okay, well, what I'm trying to do... Is I'm trying to take down the main belief systems we have, which are materialistic science and religion, and start all over again. It's sort of like, clean the slate, and now let's recheck our gauges on whether we're heading in the right direction here. And so what I do is I say, well, materialism assumes this independent universe of matter. Let's not make that assumption. Let's suppose that, that there is not a world coming at us from the Big Bang or something. Suppose we are the source of the world, okay? That we, are, that, we, that we are God projecting a home. Under this view, I think you can unify the religions. Now, I was brief with religions because I didn't want to get into the details of all the different texts and all the different competing belief systems. What I'm trying to do in the book is to show... There is enough room in the real dream worldview, in this new worldview that I'm advocating, to bring into into place all of the world's religions, okay? And so, for example, the Bible, if you read the Bible as the story of the early dreamers in the mind, in the story of God, the early actors, it starts making sense. It starts becoming more real, God was closer to the people because because the people hadn't start believing that they, that the world was, was, was separated from them. They're coming to know each other. They're coming to know how to live together, how to be kind. There's more miracles occurring. It's 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 more to me it's it's a how can I put this, a deeper perspective to understand the Bible. Say, I actually authenticate most, I'm not going to say all, because there's some religions that are maybe outliers, like Scientology, which we won't get into. But, but I, I authenticate religions because that, that is what I'm trying to do, which is to, which is to bring human experience, which includes religions and spirituality, into one overarching worldview. So, so I think there's truth. In the Bible and in the Quran and of course in Upanishads and the Buddha, I think, I think there's a, there's, there's enough room in the sky for all of them to be true from different perspectives. So I, so that's what I, I really, I'm really sensitive about that in terms of, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to rule anybody out, but you know what? You sort of have to take a step back and be willing to challenge some of your beliefs because I think that as I said earlier, I think the mind of God evolves. Um, I published an article on this in Quest magazine about does God evolve, and if you if you consider that the mind is evolving, it's 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 coming to a better understanding of itself through time. And the Bible is like a picture, a story that's two, three thousand years old now. Okay, we need to update the story and and, and improve. Uh, our understanding of God, exactly the kinds of things that you guys do on the show. Mm-hmm. And I've heard of Simran speak. I mean, it's exactly, exactly what a lot of people are doing now. They're coming to a, a more modern, enlightened understanding of God. Yes,
1: thank you. Uh, to order a copy of Philip's book, please visit www.thecollapseofmaterialism.com. And we'll be right back with more Author Philip Camella.
0: The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www1111 magcom 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich multi-sensory experience. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-sing@.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh.
1: Welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with author Philip Camella. But before we get back uh, to, to that specific conversation, I'd like to share with you that Simran is taking 10 new coaching clients in her coaching 10-pack series, which begins October the 1st. There is a limited number of spaces due to her busy schedule. So this opportunity to be coached by Simran, who is, in one of my opinion, the very best coaches out there, is on a first-come, 1st first surf basis. So to reserve your spot, visit www.iamsimran.com and register under the service section. So I'm going to come back to Philip's book. Uh, and you write, we are three-dimensional spirits taking up space, and existing as the final creative act of unlimited dreaming power. The conception of God we have in our minds, this great infinite being that many people believe rests at the base of reality, is the source of the dreaming power. The energy of God fuels the dream. Look outside, and there you will see a striking example of the power of the mind of God, a force we have misunderstood, and therefore utterly failed to appreciate. In the book, you argue that the world is a dream. Do you think the world is ready for this information?
2: Well, I think you could turn that around and say, um, is, are, the people ready for the, are the people ready for a new perspective? Or, or I also think that the world is testing us. The universe is testing us. The the, the universe slash God is is waiting for people to rise to the realization to take the responsibility of acting out the part of God in the story. the The question is is uh, is, is, a, is a great one, but because because we don't we, because we want the world to be substantial, this whole question about the world being an illusion is bothersome to, to a lot of people. We just you know, you know, we haven't quite figured it out. But the point is is that we haven't understood the power of the dream. We haven't understood the power of the dreaming mind. And the thing is is that if 2 plus 2 equals 4, if the world really is a dream, then why delay the recognition? The one thing science teaches us is that the, is that the better the theory, the more it explains. And what I try to do is I say take... Take all your preconceptions away and and just go on a little thought experiment here. Instead of imagining that the world is a machine running out its own power, let's just take the crazy thought that it's really a powerful, infinite dream. And when you do that, you wind up explaining everything. So if the goal is to explain the world, this is where I think things are heading. I think that... Um, it, it's going to take um, generations. I think it's going to take open-mindedness. It's going to take strength. But there's something. In fact, it's in the book Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse, Christie. That is that is directly on point. In that book, uh, Siddhartha's friend Govinda says, "Well, well, Siddhartha, you say the world's an illusion. If so, then then what's all this stuff? Isn't it, isn't it just my? Isn't it just?" nothing. And Siddhartha says something like, well, if the world's an illusion, then so am I. And it's of the same nature as myself. We haven't realized that the statement, we are spirits in a spiritual world, is true. It's, It's true. And it means that we couldn't tell the difference, whether we were robots in a mechanical world or spirits in a spiritual world. We forget we're part of the story. And this is in my opinion, this is the only possible world, I and mean, we must as well deal with it, because at the end of the day, would you rather live in a dream world where, where you could set your own course, uh, it, 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 it's explore the divine, and, and reach a heaven on earth? Would you want to be a machine that's going to rust away and slide into the grave? <laughs> at, the the day, at the end of the day, it's a much more uplifting, promising theory approach and the question is what explains more and which is true and what I'm trying to do is to start a debate I don't expect to convince people off you know in, in three minutes but I spent a lot of time with the book and I it's it there's a lot of authority cited and I realized that there's a lot of doubt but what I try to do is to say with an open mind compare the two the dream versus the machine at the end of the day this theory is explaining more, it's more promising, it's more optimistic, come on board, because the more people that come on board, the, the better our control over the world. And that's where, that's where things really open up, and we start um, driving ourselves towards a happier place. Mm-hmm. A place of unity, a place of peace, a place where we act out in, in real time the story of God.
1: Philip, so. So what, what do you believe to be the best proof that the world is a dream?
2: Okay, that's, a, that's, a, that's another great question. I think that, to me, um, powerful hallucinations and lucid dreaming, if you think about them, they are, they're sort of like telltale signs that the world itself is a dream. How is it possible... You should ask yourself: How is it possible for one person, in an, in a powerful hallucination, to conjure up a real seeming world from nothing, at that moment of the hallucination? And there's accounts all over history. There's a great book by Oliver Sacks called "Hallucinations" that came out last week. If people read that book, and he he goes through some amazing hallucinations, but how is it possible for that one mind, one person, to conjure up? a real seeming world, and there's no big bang at that moment. There's no big bang, there's no Darwinian evolution, there's nothing. There's the mind in a, real, in a real seeming world that, is, that can be mistaken, that is mistaken for the world at large. If one mind can hallucinate something that, that is mistaken for the world of, at large, then it's, it's, it's a pretty easy step to say, well, the united mind could conjure up the public world. So I say our individual minds stand in the same relation to dreams and hallucinations as the united mind stands in relation to the public world. And ironically, uh, Sir James Jeans, uh, a 20th century physicist, said almost exactly the same thing in his book, The Mysterious Universe. He said, uh, it would not be surprising if creations of a universal mind were more powerful than creations of an individual mind. Okay? So I think that dreams and hallucinations, when you think about them, are really, really good examples, really good evidence that the world itself is a dream. Philip,
1: how do you live your life differently today, based on your belief that we're living in a dream world, than you did? say, 15 years ago. I know you took a long time. This book took a long time to write, so I may be off on that 15 years, but <laughs> h- how, is this, how has this changed your life?
2: Well, I've, I've been living with this worldview for at least since I was in college, which uh, was quite a while ago. And what it does is it, it helps me understand the world better. It's, it, it, it categorizes experiences and and uh, and Physical events in a way that I could that I could give them meaning. For example, the, the way religions can be unified, the, the importance of morality, uh, the 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 fact that we are are really all a family. All it really does it change it doesn't change the physical world. It changes the perception. It makes it into a richer world. I think it's made me a better person because it's given me a deeper understanding and a deeper respect for the miracle of the world we live in. You know, one of the things that is, is so troublesome to me about the materialistic worldview of modern science is that when you take the view that the world is a machine, a random creation, read, read the, the books of the, of the, of the leading scientists from... I mean, Stephen Hawking thinks that we're chemical scum. That's a, that's a quote, chemical scum on a, on a random little average-sized planet. They, they take the world for granted, which is equivalent to, to taking a miracle for granted. When you approach the world as a projection, as the creation of the one mind, it gives you that deep respect and endearment to, to the greatest miracle that that ever was, why we are here today talking living instead of instead of uh, nothing instead of instead of being sunk into the black void I mean you just don 't appreciate the miracle of the world because under materialistic science, we take it for granted you know uh, there's there's a quote from in my book about about uh, quantum fluctuations, and, and one of these leading scientists say, oh, well, uh, universes are just something that happens from time to time. Isn't, isn't that great? It's like, oh, they just, they just pop up, you know, it's random and there's multiverses and everything's wonderful because they detach themselves from the creation. So it's had a powerful effect on me. It's it made me know that my dreams and, and my, my goals, my unlimited vision is does have a foundation that that a better world is possible and that you could truly be whatever you set your mind to be not just happy talk but you could really do it you could really write your own story so i can go on and on but i think it, it's had an a a powerful change in me because i do think we're divine creatures i don't think this is just you know nice thing to, to, to tell yourself i do think we're divine creatures we're imprisoned in, in, these, in, these, in these robotic vehicles that, you know, that, that science tells us we are. We need to release ourselves and fulfill what we can really be. Mm-hmm.
1: So I have a young daughter, and many of my beliefs and my personal truths are not to be considered the norm, um, especially living in, in the South. Uh, and I often feel like I'm unlearning her in regard to ideas that have been shared with her as facts, Uh, And my purpose, of course, with that is so that she receives multiple viewpoints and can grow to make her own decisions. What advice might you have on explaining a real dream worldview to a child who will inevitably be taught from books that are material science-based?
2: Well, first of all, the goal is to change the books and to change the curriculum and to change the textbooks Mm -hmm. because we're never going to get where we need to be and I have an article on this, if we're teaching our children materialism and at the same time we're trying to release their spiritual essence, it's a conflict, okay? So that's the first thing. I mean, that we need that, and maybe a, a you know an idealist goal, and, you're, and you'll hear a lot of them from me, because, but, but I do think this is what changing paradigms means. It means changing curriculums, changing textbooks, okay? Put that to the side. I often wonder... Whether children, children themselves know that they are really divine creatures and we're the ones that teach them otherwise. The whole question about, about, the, you know, uh, magical events and playing with imagined strangers and, and, uh, and, and mimicking superheroes and playing the games and the animations, I mean, I think This this needs to come naturally. It it needs to come naturally. It's not something the world the the real dream worldview is not something I think you can impose upon somebody. To me, it's the it's the worldview that remains when you're done with all the questioning of science and religion that as we know it. It's 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 the truth that will remain standing. So the number one thing for me is think for yourself. Question those opinions that people give you, and don't be afraid to follow your essence. You know, Joseph Campbell, follow your glyphs.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: that, that, that to me, and you know, I I wish I had the you know the magic pill to just convert everybody to open-mindedness. But you know, it's something. It's like playing the piano. Like you got to go through all those ugly steps first. I'm playing the drums is a better example. Um, you know, you got to you have to pound things away you know, until you finally get that melody straight. You know, it's sort of it's sort of like, I and mean, this is this is one thing that you know, life life is not easy, but but because it looks like we only have one of them, we we need to question the opinions, the beliefs that are guiding us along, you know, the the big questions, scientific, religious, and see whether we want to live our lives uh, according to someone else's story or whether we want to write our own story. And so I think that open-mindedness and this questioning ability, this questioning instinct are are pivotal. Um, At the end of the day, you know, I'd like to have people comes to the conclusion themselves. And because if that doesn't happen, then, you know, I don't think it would work. I don't think it would work. I, I think that it's gotta be something that feels right. Um, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say there's a logical foundation to this. This is not just me trying to be a, a happy talk visionary. I'm trying to say this is rooted in intellectual history scientific findings and the world we live in let's let's deal with it and 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 make and make our lives and our world into a better place
1: indeed so if our world's a dream and we're gonna we're gonna go to, to break in just another moment but if this world is a dream can we wish it away or can we wish it to change
2: well that's that's sort of another um, you know uh, it's, it's a common and a good question. The point is, is that we're dreaming the world together, which is the same thing as saying we're living on the planet Earth together. We need to cooperate to change it for the better. So one person, and, it, and, it, and I, think this is a, I think this is the way the mind set it up, one person does not have an inordinate degree of control except in those moments of duress. The mother picking the car up. It's really amazing. Sometimes when emotions are high, one person does have more control. But in terms of altering the world, it's going to take a critical mass. It's going to take – it's like rowing a a longboat. A a certain number of people, they have to be rowing in the same direction. And right now, Chrissy, look outside. We have people all over the place with different agendas. See. And so I think the secret is unifying the agenda, making us move in the same direction in a critical mass.
1: We'll be back in just a few moments to continue this conversation with Philip Camella.
2: This
0: is the 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111 magcom Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-sing@com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh.
1: Welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with our guest, Philip Camella. Philip is a practicing lawyer with a philosophy degree whose mission in life is to expose the fallacies in our current materialistic worldview and to advance a more promising and rational outlook. In pursuit of that mission, he spent 30 years studying the foundational ideas to our current scientific worldview and developing the arguments made in his book, The Collapse of Materialism. Philip, I am reading again. I'm, I'm looking later in the book now. I just, I'm just, i so fascinated by this. You say that Darwin's theory of evolution by common descent is crude, archaic, and in a final analysis, grossly flawed. Though it represents scientists' best attempt to explain life without help from God, the theory is wrong on almost every account. That is a really bold statement. So my question is, what is your problem with Darwin?
2: Well, first of all, Darwin assumes Darwinism assumes the truth of a materialistic worldview. Okay, he assumes that that the Big Bang uh, really happened. That that uh, a uh, near infinite amount of matter burst from the dark void. That this matter, without any control, without any uh, intelligence guiding it, or mind, somehow assembled itself into the, the world of wonder, the natural world that we know uh, and live in. Okay? There, it, there, there also is the big problem of how this random metal, this random matter managed to mix itself up in a pond and to become the DNA molecule. You see, the core of life is the DNA molecule which is really a dictionary, it is really a code. It's a code of life, and these are not metaphors. The DNA molecule is an intelligently designed molecule that hands out instructions for building living things. So Darwinianism has no explanation for how this, this floating dust in the wind managed to assemble itself into the physical world much less a living thing. The other problem with Darwinianism that is, I think, obvious is that they have hidden an intelligence into the concept of natural selection. They use this term natural selection in the same way uh, religion uses God almost, because everything, all they say is, well, it was caused by natural selection. Well, what is the nature doing the selecting where is where is the selective force? It's it, it's amazing to me that Darwinianism has been so successful despite the lack of an organizing for, force. In addition, the fossil record, which Darwinians you know trumpet as as showing evolution, it actually shows incredible gaps. And everybody who looks at the fossil record from the creationist. To the hardened evolutionist such as Richard Dawkins, there's gaps. The fossil record shows the mind jumping from form to form. It doesn't show this gradual evolution that Darwinism needs. So, so it is a argument. So, Darwinism is a position that requires the physical world and living things to sort of march march from the void, march out of the pond, and randomly assemble itself into the living world. I, I think the problem is, is that Darwinianism and the Darwinianists, they, they like to throw up the straw man of creationism as if the battle is only between Darwin and creationism. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying there's a middle ground here where evolution does occur... But I think it occurs by the mind inspiring itself, and that. So, so there is. So this way, we have evolution, and we and we and we just give it up and say, okay, there has to be intelligence, but the intelligence is is the mind of God, and and so, both creationists and Darwinians are right in a certain way, but I think the two viewpoints have to be transcended to reach a point. Where we could explain the world we live in. I, I, I'm also very troubled by, uh, Darwinianism. It tells us that there is no purpose in life, that there's no end, there's no goal, we're, we're heading nowhere. And it's really the hallmark of materialism that Darwinianism, uh, supports. And to me, that is such a negative, pessimistic viewpoint and it's unnecessary because because we don't we don't need to believe that we are random purposeless creatures when we could view ourselves as acting out the story of God as we've discussed. So I have a lot of problems with darwinianism and frankly it's such a it's such a sociological cultural issue. You attack darwinianism it's like you're attacking, you know, the holy grail or something. Um, it's, it's, you know, but so few people understand it because the debate is so, is so mixed up and, and fogged by the creationist versus, um, Darwin debate, you know, and I'm trying to say, look at, just look at the theory and the theory itself doesn't make much sense. So it's, it's, it's important though. And, and again, it's, a, it's the kind of thing where go through the thinking yourself and ask yourself. Does really make any sense? And I'm thinking most people, you know, most people don't believe in Darwin, anyways. Whether you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. More more people believe in the Book of Genesis. So it's 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 something that needs to change with time. Luckily, science itself is a self-correcting area. The better theory wins out in the end. We need a theory to better explain life in Darwin. And it's going to be a while, but I think that. Darwinianism is eventually going to go by the wayside. So I'm radical on that point, but I, it's all, it's, it, you know, if you want to build a new worldview, you've got to, you, you can't have any sacred cows. You have, to, you have to take everything down and build it up again, and that's what I'm trying to do.
1: It, it, it takes a radical person to do that.
2: <laughs> right, right. As I say, you know, you know, radical means different, and the question is, you know, am I radically wrong or radically right? But <laughs> it's it, it sort of, you know, it reminds me of, you know, everybody loves to quote that, that Einstein um, mm-hmm. passage about to to solve a problem, you have to uh, attack it from a different different level of consciousness than than created the problem. We have the corporate world talking about going outside the box. Uh, Niels Bohr, who won a Nobel Prize in physics, uh, criticized. A, a theory of a of a colleague by saying the theory's crazy but not crazy enough to be true. If we, we we need to make this real. We need to rise to a level a higher level of consciousness. We need to go outside the box and we need to be a little more crazy. And that's sort of so so I'm the one that tries to the tries to put it together, but as you can tell, I I I supporting what I'm saying. In the book, there's, I hate to say this, but there's over 800 endnotes. So it's not as if I'm just making this up. I'm trying to support everything I'm saying to show, okay, folks, this may be different. But you know what? At the end of the day, it makes more sense than the materialistic worldview we're living in. So let's think this through carefully.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you find that um, a materialistic science without a consciousness is dangerous?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. I think that, uh, for a lot of the reasons, um, we've discussed, I mean, right now, I think the leading theory is that consciousness is then quote-unquote emergent property of the brain or else is really, or really doesn't exist. And that reverses, reverses what I think is the correct mindset. It, it sort of disparages the greatest thing we have going for us which is consciousness awareness and the mind <laughs> it, it, it can't help but be disastrous when you think about it you know it, it gets things exactly upside down
1: I'm amazed at um, how much information is packed into this book and and as you mentioned the, the notes at the end are really amazing um, the research that, that you've done here is, is, is just incredible. Um, and, and I'm curious, what inspired you to write this book?
2: Well, I believe, to be consistent with my own worldview, that we find salvation in each other. That you can't make this journey... To a better world by yourself you could try temporarily you could try you could take drugs you can go on a retreat by yourself you could do meditation but to get to that supremely better world it takes it takes a village it takes unity because if the world is one and I am positive it is then we need to join the physical world, our physical bodies together in the same way the spiritual world is joined. So what is, what's inspiring me is that I think this is right. I have bet my life that it's right. And I wanted to do the best I can do to, to, to throw down the gauntlet and to say, here is an argument in favor of a better worldview, it's more logical, more scientific, and compare it to the one you have, because at the end of the day, if I convince you, if I sort of convince you, of, if, if you at least think about it, then, then the, the team, the, then, then my chances of, of salvation improve, and we start getting people thinking about rowing in the same direction. You see, it's, I, I'm trying to do it from the bottom up, because I don't think you could clobber people over the head and say, be good, or take this class, or read this, or, you know, or recite this prayer. You could do that, but it's gotta come from inside. It's gotta come from your own belief system and your own emotions. And so I'm trying to connect, connect with that, and, and, um, make people really change. The, the, the one, you know, it's striking me is that the more I talk to people about it, and, you know, I have spent a long time sleeping on it. You know, people say, well, sleep on it. Well, I've slept on this a long time. And so it's, a, it's sort of obvious to me. This whole thing is pretty obvious to me. But it takes a long time just to think it through because we have so many built-up misconceptions, preconceptions, prejudices, biases, all these things that we know to be true, even though we've never really questioned them. You know, such, such as the Big Bang. Don't get me started on the Big Bang. But, you know, all these things that, oh, they must be true because so and so told me it's true. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we take control of ourselves and start uh, mastering our own mind, thinking for ourselves, I think that we start taking command of who we can be. So, so this desire to find salvation in others inspired me. And as I was writing, I continued to inspire myself. I mean, it was sort of like a what you see is sort of uh, it's all. It was basically me being in the right, just like anybody else who writes. You know, you're in the right mood, the right moment, and it comes out in a certain way. And that's the way it came out. Um, you know, 50 edits later. But leaving that aside, so.
1: how did uh, how did your profession, how did being a lawyer affect your approach to writing this book?
2: Well. I think that the number one thing I get from the law is to be effective with writing, but also to support what you're saying. The law is based upon authority and logic. It's very similar to science, except that science, the authorities can change because science is a self-correcting process. But... As a lawyer, I look at things, whether it's life after death, whether it's dark matter, inflationary big bang, or the placebo effect, and I look at the evidence for it and the logical coherence of the argument. I look at everything the same. So, so, the, so the legal training helped me look at things objectively without preconceptions. That's when you asked about the afterlife. I'm mm-hmm. open-minded about it. I haven't ruled it out. I'm trying to find a way to fit it in. And also that, you, you know, if you're arguing in front of a judge, you just can't make something up, okay? You have to have the authority to, to support your statement. And the people that win the arguments usually have the best authority, it's closest on point, and their argument's logical. So at times I've been accused of the book being, you know, sort of written, like, you know, written by a lawyer. I think it's softened up over time. But my feeling is that that 's who I am, and that 's the way it came out so uh, ultimately, I think it 's a good thing because not a lot of lawyers have written books like this
1: it, it, indeed uh, um, I, I would have to I would have to agree i um, I have just found this book so fascinating um, Our conversation has been so thought-provoking. I know that uh, it will be with me um, for the duration of the evening and and well into tomorrow. And I would like to, again, just let everyone know that you can order a copy of Philip's book, learn more about him uh, at www.thecollapseofmaterialism.com. Thank you again so very much for being with us tonight. It, It truly has been an honor
2: to have you on the show. Hey Christy, thank you so much. You have very great questions and very 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 compelling uh, conversation, and I really appreciate being asked to be on the show. So thank you very
1: Absolutely. much. Absolutely, well, we hope to have you again soon. Next book.
2: It's great, yeah. Okay, I'll get right at it. Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. Okay. Good night, everyone. Okay.